Welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. I'm delighted to welcome our guests, Tom Burke, Corporate Affairs and Sustainability Director at a very well-known global brand, Coca-Cola, and Svanika Balasubramanian, Co-Founder and CEO at Repurpose Global, the world's first plastic credit platform. Now, in this episode, we'll be exploring packaging with purpose. We'll look at how one of the world's biggest drinks production companies is continually innovating in how it packages its products and how another is helping consumers and businesses across 26 countries create impact by catalyzing innovative waste management and circular solutions that stem the flow of ocean plastic. So to find out more, let's get into the conversation. Tom Svanica, welcome to The Lens. Tom, is there anybody actually listening to this podcast today who hasn't had a sip of that very, very famous drink? But obviously, Coca-Cola is a huge global brand. But you've been Director of Corporate Affairs and Sustainability for the island of Ireland for Coca-Cola for three years now. How did you get that job? Thanks, Sarah. I certainly hope everyone has had an opportunity to enjoy one of our beverages at one point or another. I'm in the role here for three years with Coca-Cola HBC, who are the, the bottling partner of the Coca-Cola company, uh, who essentially own the brands on a global basis. So we have the license to produce, sell and distribute all of the Coca-Cola brands, as well as some of our own local brands here in the Irish market that people might be familiar with, such as River Rock, Fruce, etc. Before that, I worked in a variety of roles across the drinks industry and the wider food industry. When I joined the business, I think it was the, the attraction to a massive brand, the opportunity to, to work in an industry that's changing at an incredibly fast pace, the opportunity to make real change as well within the business here was what attracted me to the role. My background is in economics, so not necessarily a natural fit into this role, you might say. Careers are not linear uh, and you always end up in places you don't necessarily expect to end up when you start out many years ago. And challenging too, and I'm sure the economics do come in very, very handy because everything, every problem that we have in the world takes money to solve. Svanika, I'm so delighted that you're joining us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've come to start this incredible business. Thank you so much, uh, Sarah, for having me on today. A real pleasure. I studied economics as well in undergraduate school and waste management and working with garbage quite literally was never on the radar. But my senior year, I just had this really unique opportunity to pick a different sort of economic challenge and do a thesis on it. And and so my co-founders and I, we actually came together as co-authors on a research paper and we spent a about a year and a half, quite literally going from landfill to landfill, from dump site to dump site, from South America to Africa to Asia, really trying to understand what are the common patterns in waste management? You know, why is plastic pollution the global crisis that it is today? And also swelling into this idea of the informal plastic waste economy that employs tens of millions of people today. At the end of that year and a half, we had a 200-page paper, and it just didn't feel right to ever leave that space. We started Repurpose as a platform to really help give accessibility to the solutions on the ground, to the right sort of innovations that we're solving for the global plastic crisis. You started Repurpose at the age of 20 to have that foresight and that vision and that wisdom, and then to be helping consumers and businesses across 26 countries with this huge problem. That's pretty special. 
Thank you. When we started, it was more about just solving a problem rather than being tied to a solution. I always believe there are two kinds of entrepreneurs in the world. You know, I think there's one where they have this very nice technical solution and they're committed to making that work and fit different problems. For us, it was the opposite where we were tied to a problem. Or we just really wanted to do something about the global plastic crisis, about waste management. And we were willing to do whatever it took, however many different iterations of solutions it took to actually figure it out. So we had many missteps. So I think we've just gotten really lucky on that journey. Tom, let's go back to you now, because we are going to be talking about packaging with purpose and just how businesses can think more carefully and appropriately about how they manage their waste. And I understand that Coca-Cola has launched its mission 2025, only a couple of years away. And one of the six key pillars is packaging, where you're absolutely looking at this world without waste. What does that actually mean? Sure. I'm fortunate to work for an organization that takes the issue of sustainability as seriously as we do and are committed to having driving real change uh, and having a real impact, but also a measurable impact. A lot of what has been done in the past has either not been measurable or has been in the wrong areas that hasn't driven real and discernible change. And I think that's where our mission 2025 commitments as a business and as the Coca-Cola system globally are probably different to a lot of what's gone before. It's aligned to the United Nations sustainability development goals, one being environment and the other being social impact. But chief amongst those is our work in the area of packaging. We made two very significant commitments in that space. Our world without waste strategy, which seeks to drive circularity in our packaging, which we believe is the real solution to the waste crisis we've seen over the course of the last 20 years. And the second one is in what we call net zero by 40. And that's a very tangible commitment we as a business have to achieve a net zero position by 2040. Both hugely ambitious targets, but massive commitment coming from our business in terms of time, resource and money to deliver those changes that are required. If I just focus on some of the packaging elements of the Mission 2025 commitments, we are, as a business and as a system, committed to using 50% recycled plastic in our plastic bottles by 2025. The good news from an island of Ireland perspective is that we're already there. We're currently using 52% recycled plastic in our bottles that we produce here in our facility in Knockmore Hill and Lisburn. In terms of carbon reduction, we're we're well ahead of the game in that sense, in that we've reduced our total emissions by about 60% over the course of the last 10 years, and by 32% in the course of the last four years alone. We know there's a lot done, and we know there's a lot more to do to turn packaging from what is currently perceived as waste into a valuable commodity that we all know it is. Now, one of um, the key points of your mission as well is to help collect the equivalent of 75% of our primary packaging. So I'm thinking back to my youth and I'm thinking of the way that we used to get our minerals or whatever delivered. And you took that bottle, glass bottle, back to the shop and you got money when you brought it back. But how do you, without having that kind of deposit scheme, how do we make sure that we're recycling all of this plastic? 
that's a very good point, Sarah. That's exactly what we want to do. We want to go back to the future. Plastic has real value. Uh, and we need to change the mindset from consumers, from customers, from everyone along the value chain in that direction. And what we are proposing and what we are currently working towards is the development of a deposit return scheme in both the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And what that would do in its most simple form is add a small deposit to each purchase of one of our products that would be redeemed by the consumer when they return the packaging itself. So it is very much back to many people remember penny bottles going back 30, 40 years ago, which was focused on glass. This will be focused on plastic and aluminium. And through that, we believe we can achieve our goal, which is to recover the equivalent of every single bottle and can we sell by the year 2030. We've seen it in many other markets around the world. And what they've seen is return rates far in excess of 90% within three years. So we know the system works. We know how to do it. We need to set about doing it now. And as a business, we're at the center of that. This isn't about introducing a deposit for a deposit's sake. It's introducing a deposit change behavior to try and incentivize people to bring back the packaging and to create a circular economy for packaging. So currently, even the recycled plastic we use in our bottles today, which I mentioned is that over 50% now, we have to bring from continental Europe because we don't have a local supply of that recycled plastic. We see the introduction of a deposit return scheme locally as the method to get back to being able to source that bottle locally. So that bottle goes around in a loop essentially and is reused numerous times over its lifespan, as opposed to the current situation where many of it goes to landfill. Those bottles that are recycled are recycled in countries many miles from here, which in and of itself drives emissions into the value chain. So we think there's a huge opportunity for the island to be self-sufficient when it comes to its plastic needs and to really drive that circular economy for packaging, as I say. That's so interesting. And Svanika, you must be finding this incredibly interesting, you know, hearing from the likes of Coca-Cola and Tom. Going back a bit, Svanika, to the work of Repurpose Global, your organisation has recovered, I believe, more than 13 and a half million kilos of plastic waste to date. And you talk about imperfect progress and tell us a little bit more. I think we've done over 15 million now as over the years, what we really built is actually a comprehensive plastic action supply chain. There is never a silver bullet solution. It would be nice if there was just one really easy answer where plastic equals bad, um, but material A or material X that now come up equals good and suddenly everything is right with the world. But it doesn't work like that. What we try to do is guide a company through that entire life cycle from the birth and manufacturing of the product, the internal supply chains and the emissions and the packaging and the plastic that can be reduced there at the beginning of life level all the way to the end of life. We see so many companies waiting for that perfect solution. And I think that wait for perfection, it just never stops (laughs) because we're never going to have a perfect answer. There's a lot of fear within companies to make the wrong move. And that's the gridlock that we want to break to say, it's okay to start small, but you just have to keep going. You need an end destination and we'll help you get there. The fact that you can't get there immediately should not be stopping a company from doing at least small good things on a daily basis. Tom, I'd love you to come in there. Yeah, I think Tanik is absolutely right. And it's, I think it's so refreshing to hear someone speak about the idea that we don't have to wait for perfection. 
I think there's a complete misunderstanding around the area of sustainability. Many companies don't want to be brave. They don't want to make ambitious goals for fear of missing them. And then ultimately receiving the, the heat, let's say, not just from their consumers, but also from their customers, be they retail customers or others. There's an element and a responsibility on businesses like ours to be brave and to be leaders and to step up and say, no, we need to make change here. And I'm certainly confident that as a business, we have that support internally to try and deliver that change because Svanik has touched on it there. There is a huge level of misunderstanding around materials and packaging materials and what their relative carbon footprints are and what's good and what's bad. This is a massively complex area and it's impossible for everyone to be experts in everything. But even down to things like the ideas of plastic versus glass, for example, there is a natural misunderstanding that glass is a far superior packaging type to plastic. The reality is the opposite. Recycled plastic has the lowest carbon footprint of any packaging type. And that's not well understood. And that then leads to people maybe making comments and statements that aren't necessarily reflected in the truth. And that then in turn leads to bad decisions by both businesses and policymakers. So it's a really tricky area and it's a really difficult place to, to understand. But I think what we need to do is just be braver in how we go after these targets and these ambitions. Have you found that it's okay within Coca-Cola to try something and that it fails or, you know, this whole thing, failure's fine, but fail fast? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, there's a, I'm fortunate that there's a culture in this business that we are presented with the opportunity and encouraged, in fact, to try new things, be innovative, be creative, be brave and be bold in our decision-making, both at a local and at a group level. And I think Svanika said it earlier as well, is this idea that you don't have to have all the answers now. And I think the drive towards net zero, and as I stated earlier, it's our, our ambition to be in a net zero position as a business by 2040. Do we know exactly how we're going to get there? No. And that's fine. That's okay. What we've got to do is try and build a plan to get there over a number of years in the intent that those answers will become available to us. The technology we have in 10 years time will be very different to the technology that we're dealing with now, which was very different to the technology we dealt with 10 years ago. So we shouldn't feel that we can't make commitments because we can't see the final end game. It will take time and it will take collective effort in order to achieve those ambitions. And Svanika, coming back to you as well, your business is based on a plastic credit platform. Can you explain exactly what that means? Okay, perfect. This is just an ad for Apple now, the good quality products. <laughs> so thinking about plastic credits, so Repurpose is the world's largest plastic credit platform. And then there are many ways to think about what a plastic credit is. But I think ultimately the way we think about it is it's really just a verified way of removing plastic from the environment that is also standardized. Repurpose now operates in... Ghana, Kenya, the Dominican Republic, Colombia, India, Indonesia, the United States. And we do all sorts of things. We have fishermen pulling nets out of the ocean to building PT recycling factories in Ghana to bringing curbside door-to-door -door recycling and collection of dry waste from India or Colombia or protecting whale nurseries. And I think in the absence of one standardizing language, it's really comparing apples to oranges. And I think what the plastic credit does is 
is it, it brings that standardizing language and it makes it very clean and simple. So you know that, okay, if I'm going to put in this amount of money, I'm going to get this amount of plastic credits out of it. Um, and I know that actually means something. And then so it really comes down to four key value adds. The first is the measurability. It's so key to be able to measure the impact you're, you're actually having. And I know that seems so obvious, but I can't tell you the number of times where we've had businesses give out grant money with absolutely no idea what actually has come out of it. And then it, it really is a zero-sum game ultimately, right? Because if you're allocating funds to the wrong solution, that means the right solutions are not being funded. So you're really sort of like delaying the progress that we need um, for the planet itself. The next, I think, is really the standardization of everything that you're doing. And we think about it both environmentally and socioeconomically speaking. And then so when you are saying across the world, what we're really creating is plastic credits, you're making sure that it was done in the same way. So whether it was a startup in Indonesia or a waste worker union in Colombia, they're held to the same standards. And, and so anyone coming in can make sure that, okay, nothing was leaked. There's no corruption. There's no child labor. There's no gender pay gaps. Everything is happening the way it should be, both for the environment and for the communities themselves. And maybe the final thing that I'll touch on on here is I think it also gives you a little bit of that traceability under one platform. A plastic credit is really a packet of data that tells you this piece of plastic was removed from this location over here. This is who processed it. This is where it got recycled. And this is where it actually ended up. Long story short, a plastic credit is nothing crazy complicated. All it does is really just bring a layer of standardization to a very historically disaggregated, complicated space. Do you feel that that's changing now because people are getting more invested into making the world a better place? Definitely. When Repurpose started, I think one of the biggest reasons we had a lot of early traction, and this is going to sound so simplistic, but it was because of David Attenborough's Blue Planet documentary. And all of a sudden, you know, everyone was talking about the, the turtle with the straw in its nose and the wheel with the stomach full of plastic. And it started shedding light on this very overlooked issue for a very, very long time. And that consumer momentum then put pressure on companies to start taking it seriously as well. And that that company interest, the signals that the CPG sector, the private sector, was interested in doing the right things, then put pressure on governments and into the public sector as well. And then so I think all of these feed into each other. And then we've seen a lot of change happening across the board. And I think the biggest one that we're always concerned about is exactly what you touched on, Sarah, which is the idea of environmental justice, because there's a present problem that we need to be looking at. But there's also historical savage that comes in with this, where for decades and decades, really from the late 1900s, so much of our waste that we didn't know what to do with, whether it's Ireland or the UK or the United States, Canada, really all of the global north, quite literally gets put on a ship and sent halfway across the world to Vietnam and Malaysia, India, the Philippines, all of these different countries. And now we're seeing an uptick, you know, when certain countries say, okay, we're not going to take in any more of that waste, then other countries are stepping up. Now there's an uptick in African countries taking in more waste, Somalia and Egypt and so on as well, and South American countries. And then so once the waste gets there, it's incredibly detrimental 
for the local communities, but it also fosters this very exploitative informal sector to actually deal with all of that garbage. I think there was an article that came out in The Guardian a, a few years ago that estimated over half a million people lose their lives every single year because of this mismanaged waste problem where you have all of this global trade of garbage that is flowing from one corner to the other. And as there's more consumer awakening on it, there's also more scope to talk about these issues in a very intersectional way. And we are definitely seeing, I think, increased amount of understanding and empathy from consumers that is then rolling into how businesses see these sorts of things as well. And you're originally from India as well. So when you know that this is happening and that countries like the UK were continuing to ship waste to these areas, it, it must make you mad. Yeah, and one of the very shocking things is how long it was going on for before anyone actually talked about it. I'm from India and a lot of the initial projects that we ended up were in India and we were finding all of these crazy statistics that there are certain informal settlements of waste pickers, they're called uh, locally, where they literally go into landfills, try to find plastic bottles that can be recycled, pick it up, spend all day inside a landfill and then go try to sell it to a recycler. And because of the really dangerous conditions that they live in and everything from inhaling toxic chemicals to not having access to any sort of healthcare, the life expectancy in some of these communities, especially for women, was less than 40 years. I think what was even more shocking for us, especially when we were doing our initial research back then, is the common pattern that we kept seeing again and again and again in pretty much every single country that we were going to and setting up things in in the global south. As we think about the future, this is definitely something I would encourage, Tom, for bigger companies to think about too because you're absolutely right I think what Coca-Cola does sends a big signal to the rest of the industry and what needs to be done is really think about the intersectionality of the packaging problem and when we think about setting goals on the environmental sense are there goals that can also be set that go hand in hand from a community development perspective as well both for the present problem but also for the decades in the past. Yeah, I think Svanica makes a really good point around what we as a society have done in the Western world over the last number of decades is, is essentially export our waste problem elsewhere and not deal with it ourselves. Um, now, thankfully, I think we've started to see a realisation of that over the course of the last decade or so and a commitment to changing that fact. And really what we have is an infrastructural deficit when it comes to dealing with the waste that we produce as a society. And this isn't an individual company issue or an individual country issue indeed. It's in the Western world we, we've neglected for too long the infrastructure we need to deal with the packaging, etc., that we produce on a daily basis. And this is where we need to start as a society as business working with government and other interested stakeholders to step forward and provide solutions to that infrastructural deficit that exists. Coca-Cola HBC has been working in countries such as Italy, Romania and other markets in Europe to look at, well, how do we help support the drive towards bottle-to-bottle recycling. So no longer can we countenance a situation where this valuable material is being sent overseas for reprocessing. How do we ensure that we reprocess it locally and turn it back into a bottle that can be used time and again? No bottle should have one life. It should be used multiple times. And it's built to do that. So why aren't we doing that? And the real problem has been that infrastructure. Firstly, to collect the material, And secondly, to reprocess that material back into a bottle. There's a lot of work ongoing at the moment to do that, but we still have a long way to go. The fact that we don't have a bottle-to-bottle facility on the island of Ireland 
in my view, is a damning indictment of the investment to date in that sense. And we need to do much more to drive circularity. And we need to do that by helping to create those circular flows, make it easy for consumers to make the right decision about how they dispose of their packaging. And then at the back end, take control of that packaging and make sure that it's turned back into to valuable commodities. I firmly believe that the will is there now that maybe didn't exist a number of years ago. And we will see sizable changes in the approach over the course of the next five to 10 years. Tom, I'd love to ask at this stage if you have any questions for Svanica, given what you've been hearing about Repurpose Global today. Yeah, firstly, just to acknowledge the great work that Svanica does. I think look, you can't help but be truly impressed by the, the level, the work, the engagement, the, the real impact she's having and her business is having on global waste. From the perspective of a, a young female entrepreneur, Svanica, what would you see as being the first priority from your perspective to make real change and to improve the, the circularity equation we've been discussing over the course of the last 40 minutes or so? There was a, an amazing report that came out from the Pew Trust called Breaking the Plastic Wave. They did all of these different simulations to figure out in business as usual scenarios, the amount of plastic leaking into oceans is going to triple by 2040. So let's take sort of this ambitious target of we want to reduce that by 80% by 2040, what actually needs to happen. They did many different simulations where they had figured, okay, what if all businesses only focus on reduction? How much could we reduce that by? What if we only focus on recycling? How much could we reduce that by? What if we only focus on sort of consumer behavior and infrastructure, all of these different solutions that exist there? And then they did the bundled simulation where they said, what if we allocated 20% to reduction, 15% to X and so on a little bit to recycling and let's see what actually happens and then they found that was the most successful simulation where allocating a little bit to a lot of different solutions from the private sector's perspective actually netted the most amount of impact gains what i would love is for all businesses to commit to that saying i understand that there isn't a single silver solution but i will do a little bit across the value chain we are going to think about reduction and we are going to think about redesign but we're also going to think about end of life and recycling and infrastructure development. And we're going to do this in the scientifically accurate way, as opposed to optimizing for what looks good on an advert or what looks good on a billboard. And I think that would be my big wish. And Tom, whenever you hear Svanica say that despite all of everyone's efforts, by 2040, the amount of plastic ending up in the ocean is set to triple, does your heart sink? It does a little bit, but at the same time, we know we can change that. That's not a fait accompli, and we shouldn't just accept that that's going to be the way they think things turn out. I think it should act as a warning to us. I think that people are afforded the opportunity to make a difference and ensure that doesn't happen. And maybe my view is coloured by that fact that we have such high-level engagement, support and determination in this area. But we shouldn't view the outcome as being predetermined. We should view the outcome as being, well, what can we do as individuals, as businesses and as a society to make a change and make sure that that doesn't happen, because that would be an ultimately a disaster, not just for individual businesses, that's a disaster for the planet environmentally and, and in every sense. I think Savannica is absolutely correct. We've got to look at what are the various tools in our armory here? What can we do to make real change? And it has to be holistic. It can't just be, well, we'll change everything to a different packaging type and that'll be fine. That's not the solution. The solution is looking at how do we redesign the packaging that we have? And that's what we've done as a business over the last number of years. This must be very heartening for you, Svanica, but what questions would you like to ask of Tom and Coca-Cola HPC? 
you touched on this a little bit earlier in the podcast where we talked about how the milestones, the destination isn't actually as important as the roadmap itself, because in most companies we have commitments that we see in 2040 and 2050, but who knows how different the world is going to look by then. And, and so I think that those sorts of goals are excellent for giving us a direction. What sort of change is needed on a present day basis to make that roadmap actually happen? It's a mixture of trying to innovate and incrementally build towards the objectives that we've set for ourselves in the longer term, but also having an open mind to new opportunities that emerge. And that's where I think conversation, dialogue, engagement is essential as well. For businesses like us, we don't have all the answers in this space, and nor would we ever claim that. We need help from a variety of different people to solve the challenge that exists today. And that will come from third parties, government agencies. It will come from NGOs. It will come from consultancy bodies. It will come from consumers directly. And we as a business need two things. We need to put the right resource behind these objectives, and we need to provide leadership to not just the industry, but to society and to government to say, we as a big business take this seriously. So if I could ask each of you with your individual businesses, Svanika, first of all, what is your business determined to do to be even better in the future? I feel it's a responsibility of entrepreneurs in this sector, such as repurpose, to actually build those tools to make it really easy and accessible for companies to do the quote unquote right thing. I think being very iterative, being quite rapidly innovative about testing different products and in seeing what actually makes the most sense. I think that mentality to it is a big one. The next is a little bit more intangible and maybe I'm going to label it the the culture of hope because I feel like there's a lot of negativity in the world right now that is often paralyzing and especially if you're in the impact space and day in and day out all you see is what's wrong all you see is people suffering all you see is the planet suffering it's easy to get disheartened and i think as a business it's also our responsibility and in some way as innovators in the space to provide that hope how we can go about this differently that we don't have to just accept it for what it is and so just being a little bit more deliberate about creating that space i think both internally for our team but also externally for all of the different stakeholders that we work with Great answer. I've heard there about rapid innovation with the right tools and getting over that negativity. Tom, same question to you. What will you be determined to do to be even better in the future? Yeah, I think we've made our statements, I guess, in regard to our ambition to achieve net zero by 2040. What we've got to do now is really back it up. and We've got to deliver. And I think what I'm trying to drive in our own business is a culture of having an open mind about how we achieve those objectives. So no longer should we be saying no to solutions that are potentially on the table. We should be saying yes to the, those solutions and really investigating to the nth degree. So, for example, what does our pack mix look like in the future? So that's a, a bit of an industry term, but how we sell our products today could be very different from how we set our products in 10 years' time. And we should have an open mind as to what, what that evolution might look like, what that change process might look like, and continuously try and innovate change, but also bring our customers and our consumers with us on that journey. This can be a really scary space for, for companies, and particularly the, the medium and smaller size companies who see this as a, a real threat to their very existence. And I think what we as a big business have to do is to stand up and say, no, this is not a threat. It's very much an opportunity and provide that totem pole for how we can change as a business and exemplify 
how we can be better as an industry as a result of that change and bring others with us and not see it as a competitive space, very much see it as a collaborative space and work with organizations all over the world to try and make that change and make that difference. Brilliant answer. And that culture of having an open mind, I think we can all benefit from that. Let's get a little more personal now for the last question of the podcast today. And Tom, you've talked about the importance of leadership and encouraging people to have that open culture and that open mind. But as leaders, what do you feel your personal responsibility is? I love that question. I think any big decision you take in a business should always be viewed to a certain degree through the personal lens. Because at the end of the day, people who work in large organizations or small organizations for that matter, are not corporate animals. They have lives outside of the existence of the business and the four walls of the business. Personally, I have two young sons and every day I go to work, I think, well, this might sound a little bit lofty in its ambition, but what can I do today as a leader in my organization to make their lives a little bit better in the future. And I think the area of climate sustainability, etc., provides me probably with a platform where I can genuinely make a change for, for my two boys into the future. Hold people to account when I feel that's not happening in our business or people are coming at an issue with maybe a closed mind or, you know, may, maybe a view that things can't be done. My role in this organization is to challenge, is to provoke, is to make people think a little bit differently around how we've done things in the past and how we might do them in the future. We can all make a, a, a difference for the next generation and the one after that, in fact. Love it. And Svanikas, what do you want to do more of or less of to improve the world? I think it's a really interesting question. And leadership is in many ways a learning journey. Uh, and I'm in no ways an expert. And there's so much that I can learn as well. But the one thing that I do try to do is just make sure that as a leader, I'm creating the right circumstances for others who are possibly smarter than me, no more than me, have a lot of value to add. Am I creating the right circumstances for them to really thrive, for them to really grow? And then so my responsibility, whether that repurpose or whether it's in, you know, just a general waste management space, I think it's really just an enabler in many ways and in making sure that everyone is able to bring their best selves in every single day. There's some level of innovation, there's some level of impact that I can have as an individual, but there's so much more if I have a team of people, if I have a community of people that also feel empowered to be able to come in and do that every single day. I think as a leader, what I would love to continue and probably love to do more of this year as well is how do I empower more people? How do I empower more communities, bring more stakeholders and give them the right incentives and tools to want to collaborate, to want to innovate and to want to create impact altogether. Thank you so much to my guests today, Tom Burke, Corporate Affairs and Sustainability Director at Coca-Cola HBC and Svanika Balasubramanian, co-founder and CEO at Repurpose Global. If your business is keen to innovate responsibly, if you want to learn from others or you want to understand how your business can go faster, braver and bolder in its responsible decision making, then please do get in touch with business in the community at www.b itc.org.uk. Thank you so much for listening and tune in next time.